Today on Capricorn Matters, we're talking astrology, COVID, advice, your Christ year, and more with very special guest, Jessica Lanyado. Stay tuned. Hello from the Sagittarian Matters Social Distancing Studios in Tahunga, California. Listeners, before we get to our esteemed Capricorn guest, I wanted to talk to you about a super local issue that centers around mountain lions. If you'll stay with me for approximately two minutes, I would love to talk to you about mountain lions. Do you remember in the last episode, I was talking to friend of the show, Beth Pickens, about the mountain lion who left a pile of scat right outside the social distancing studios. Okay. He lives in the Verdugo Mountains. There are lots of trail cam photos of him living in the Verdugo Mountains all around my house, leaving scat, leaving footprints, leaving handsome photographs of himself on trail cameras collected by cougarmagic.com. That's a lady who collects cougar photos. Anyway, that guy lives here. But I want to tell you something, which is an evil developer in a twist, not unlike a Muppet movie kind of situation, wants to build a development of 200 plus million dollar homes, a gated community over top the Verdugo Mountains right over here. So that means he wants to level the mountains out. He wants to quote unquote grade the mountains. He wants to level them out, cover them in concrete, and then put a bunch of homes there. So what happens to the mountain lion when that happens? He's a protected species. True. He gets pushed closer to the 210 freeway. If he wants to get away from this development and go further into the Verdugo Mountains, he has to cross the 210 freeway. What, you might ask, happened to his predecessors? Nicole, I'm an expert in Verdugo Mountain uh, cougars. Can you tell me what happened to the other three most recent cougars? Well, Yes, esteemed listener, two of them were hit by cars and one of them died as a result of a fire. So if this guy's stuck here, any of those fates could befall him because this is a fire zone and these people are talking about taking away precious habitat that this protected species needs to live. Not to mention all the other species who live here, all the other protected trees, plants, legless lizards, and more who live in this area. So what I'm asking you to do, very simple, as a favor to me, I'll pay it back sometime, you know I'm good for it, is go to no, what the fuck is it called? NoCanyonHills.org. NoCanyonHills.org and sign the petition. I'm going to look it up right now. Yeah, NoCanyonHills.org or .com. .org. Uh, there's a petition there. You can also go to No Canyon Hills on Instagram and learn more about it. I really appreciate it. Okay, now I'll tell you about our guest. Jessica Lanyado is an internationally respected astrologer and psychic medium who has been in private practice with clients all over the world since 1995. She may have suspended that practice right now. Listen to the show to find out more. You may recognize Jessica from her special guest appearance on my other podcast, Relative Fiction, where she spoke to my father who has gone to the other side. 
Jessica is a triple Capricorn. Her podcast is called Ghost of a Podcast, and she also has a wonderful book called Astrology for Real Relationships. You can find that anywhere books are sold right now. You can find her podcast and more at lovelanyadu.com. Now, please enjoy my talk with a very special friend to the show, Jessica Lanyado. Jessica Lanyado. That's my name, but oh. Welcome back to Sagittarian Matters. Capricorn Matters. You know what? It all matters. It all matters. It really does. It does. But it's such a joy. I feel like, where have you been my whole life? I don't know. I've been right here. Thank goodness we met each other and we get to be on the podcast together. I know. It's a joy. It's wonderful to have you back. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. It's a gift. Um, Will you tell me we haven't talked in a long time? What's your COVID life update. I am so happy you're asking me this question because I have such strong, strong feelings. (laughs) Big surprise. Uh, yeah, I, I am only hanging out with people outdoors unmasked. And if I'm in like a big crowded outdoor situation, I got my damn mask on. Yeah. Uh, I, when I go indoors, I'm always masked. So I haven't eaten indoors since before the pandemic. And I recently had the coolest thing in the world happen. I had a piece in a museum. (gasps) I know it's a whole story, which I can tell you, but I will say for the museum opening, um, it was indoors and it was crowded and it was masks were enforced because the Oakland museum is awesome, but I didn't just wear a mask. I wore a fucking face shield and I didn't just wear a face shield. I wore a mirrored face shield. And every time I turned around and people saw my face, they took two steps back because they were like, this bitch is really concerned about COVID. And they were, they handled it very well. The people, the people were wonderful. Anyways, uh, the museum piece is another conversation, but all to say, I am very passionate about masks and I have something else to say before I hear how you're doing. Go ahead. I have been heartbroken. And when I say I have been heartbroken, that's wrong because that sounds like past tense. I am every single day heartbroken by the behavior of people who I thought were progressive um, around masking, because I think this is an issue of ableism that needs serious care and attention. And so many people that I thought were progressive are just burnt out and like running around, you know, not even, not even acting like it's a pandemic anymore when, you know, we're having like 450 to 520, the numbers change week to week deaths a day, a day. Like it's, we are not okay. And I'm not even worried about death. One should be so lucky to leave this world, but I am worried about long COVID the mass disabling event and the the vast unknowns about what it does to our, you know, metabolism, our, our heart, so many parts of our bodies that we know um, or we're starting to understand are getting affected by long COVID. So anyways, all to say, I have a lot of thoughts and opinions on this. How have you been handling it, my furry friend? I feel with you on that, where the kind of uh, community care aspect feels like it's gone out the window as people have been like, I just got to live my life. 
And I just suggest perhaps we do live our lives, but our lives are lived different than they were before there was a pandemic, an ongoing pandemic that, and I, I just having COVID was terrifying. The things that it did to my body afterwards were a real mysterious bummer and hard to get medical care for. And I don't wish that upon people that are immune compromised or senior citizens whose lives I really value. And if I was the carrier for COVID to them, spreading it asymptomatically or whatever, I I couldn't forgive myself. Yeah, I really hear that. And you had COVID a while ago. Did you get it again or just the one time? Just the one time. But I do I'm feel- I'm not I feel a bit, I let me go ahead and knock on this wood. Yeah, I do feel, but I do feel isolated because I am pretty much almost the last, the last yeah. of the pack yeah. to still wear a mask. It is still like, oh, Nicole's like leaning into her eccentricities. Look at that. She's wearing a mask. Um, I, pe- I feel like people feel that way about me too. And it really pisses me off. Uh, <laughs> I feel like, uh, I feel really like, okay. You and I are old enough to remember before gay marriage was legal. When gay marriage wasn't legal, people couldn't get legally married and queer people. And then when gay marriage became legal, people adjusted and they started to get legally married. Yeah, that's called adjusting to different circumstances. We all have proved we are capable of that. But when it's individually inconvenient, it's really like I'm today, I'm like over it. Like I, sometimes I'm really good at holding space for everyone's just trying to survive. Everyone's just trying to manage risk in their own way. And psychologically, a lot of people just don't, can't cope with this. And I, some days can really hold space for that. And then some days like today, I'm just like, if progressives, if progressives can't show community care as you framed it by wearing a mask in public spaces. What hope have we for any collective movements? What hope have we for coping with the inevitable consequences of a mass disabling event over the course of the next decade or so, as we see more and more consequences, right? I mean, it's, it really like, I know it's not personal to me, but it hurts my feelings. It's really isolated. It's bringing me a lot of grief. It's like yes. the weird waves of pandemic grief. One of those yes. waves of grief is like, like just feeling different from my group. Yeah. Like wanting to feel really unified with the people I've chosen as my, as my people. And mm-hmm. then being like, Oh God, we have something that to me is like very fundamental political kind of personal. Yeah. And we're just different. That's, I wish I could hold it that way all the time. It's just different. Um, I mean, I've had to, cause at some points I was like, am I living in the queer version of QAnon right now? Because the yeah. information we were all getting was so different Yeah, because my information that I was getting was so radically different from other people I know and respect and love mm. that I was like, th- maybe this is like a, a QAnon things happening. Like, I mean, this is beyond uh, the, the conversation no, is it's also it, like around the Amber Heard trial when people were like, well, I saw she was doing Coke on the stand. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I saw TikTok. And I was like, oh, that's not, no. that was like fueled by Russian oligarchs that were funding yeah. Johnny Depp's PR team. That's all there to like bring down women and break us apart. Yeah. So we don't have a movement. Yeah. Like I just said, I was, I'm having QAnon feelings. Well, I mean, it's, 
I think what you're saying is so important and it's a meaningful part of this conversation because what is disinformation? What is misinformation? I was talking to somebody who said to me, oh, you know, me and my kid, we're going to go fly here and we're going to do X. And I was like, oh, you know, are you going to, and then I think what they did was they sent me a photo of them on the plane. And I was like, you guys aren't wearing masks. Like, aren't you concerned? And this person was like, well, I had COVID a month ago, so I'm immune. And I was like, well, you're a medical marvel or you and I are getting news in really different way from yeah. different sources. And I, I don't think it's limited to QAnon. I think it's, you know, international, it's, it's how terrorism is working. Um, I think now, I think wars are being waged with information and there's like a whole astrology to that. But I, I also think I also think that there's just the reality is that some of us are getting news from different sources very much on purpose. Some of us are getting it just by the roll of the dice or, or what your algorithm sh chooses to share with you. And then I think, you know, I'll say like, you know, I, as you know, gave readings as an astrologer, psychic, whatever, full-time since 1999. And then I stopped during the pandemic and people every single day ask me, when will you do it again? And blah, blah, blah. And really, I don't have the answer to that, but I will say a meaningful part of why I'm not giving readings is because I, I don't have the personality to handle the cognitive dissonance that so many people are living with. And I don't, I'm not mad at it. I don't have judgments towards it. I'm just not a good person for it because I'm like, let's talk about the facts and the figures and reality in this particular way that is it's just not helpful to people. I don't think in a, in a counseling situation, but I do know that there are statistics and it would be really great if people cared more about the people behind those statistics. But yeah. I, it's a shame we don't live closer because we could like sit nine feet apart from each other outdoors and like wave at each other, um, preferably by the water. Like my trick with people when I hang out is I eat only at mediocre restaurants that are in on the water. Oh, that's a good, I mean, that's, that feels like a middle-aged trick because it I is, feel like it is where like the food quality is not necessarily the reason for the season right now. hundred percent. We're going for the companionship. We're going for the view. We're going actually it's for the air because when mm. you're on the water, there's more of a breeze, even when it's not a breezy day. So that's why I'm choosing the water side hangouts. Um, Kaya and I have been together for almost three years. We have never eaten inside a restaurant together. I as mean, a couple, and we've had some like horrifying takeout experiences and like trying to trying to keep the magic alive. Yeah, food we didn't prepare ourselves, but um, anyway, here we. I are. mean, I'm so glad to hear that you're also doing this. And, um, it's interesting how much the conversations evolved because it used to really just be about vaccinations. And now I feel like whatever it's about masking, you know, and I know not everybody feels that way, but yeah, it is. I, I wanted to bring it up for the podcast because I think it is helpful to, for those of us that are left, that are left behind or people that are immune compromised or have, you know, live with relatives that are immune compromised, whatever the people that feel like the last of their masking mm -hmm. kind, I feel it's nice to see them and remember that I'm not the only one. Cause it does feel like I'm the only one. Yeah. A lot yeah. of times. I, I agree. And I also will just, 
I want to say for anyone who's like on the fence, who just has a harder time not going along with what everyone is doing, it is far better to act in ways that are both self-protective, but also like in alignment with your values than it is to just like get along because it should not fall on the shoulders of immune compromised or disabled people to protect themselves. It shouldn't fall on the shoulders of parents to protect their infants and children that can't wear masks yet. You know, it's, I think it's community care is the right term and I'm going to steal it and I'm going to run with it, but it is just community care. And, and I feel like we really need to make sure that ableism is a part of our considerations when we're fighting oppressive systems or trying to be a person of conscience. And so I'm really glad that we're having this conversation. Like, as I was saying to you earlier, I mentioned COVID in on most every podcast episode I do, but I don't talk about my personal feelings about it quite as emphatically as I just have with you. I, again, a different day will have a very different tone about it. It's just like, you know, it really just depends on where I was and what I saw and how annoyed I was. Are you ready to answer some advice questions? I mean, yes. And I promise that my judgy tone will not persist. You know what? Bring it on. Here comes the judge. Here comes the judge. Order in the court. Here comes the judge. Okay. Order in the court. I'm, I have one I'm going to read to you. That is, that also, it feels very, very now. Mm-hmm. Dear Sagittarian Matters, my best friend of over a decade recently confessed to me that she bought the new Harry Potter game. Oh, she knew she shouldn't. She is queer and tried to tell me how inclusive the game is as it has queer characters. <laughs> I'm a person of trans experience. And even though I know my friend would never want to hurt me, I feel like she has prioritized her desire for a fun game over the safety of the trans community. Yeah. I'm sure she hasn't put as much thought into this as I have, but I find I'm harboring, harboring feelings of lack of safety towards her because she made this particular decision. I don't want to lose my friend over this as I know she's a good person at heart. Is it worth talking to her about it or should I just let it go? From Harried in Hampshire. Gosh. Did you make that up just now? Harried in Hampshire? I'm, I can't say. Okay. Uh, but okay. What do, what do you think? Cause I I've been stewing on this question and thinking about the thing. And so what, what the person's getting at is if people don't know, J.K. Rowling, the author of Harry Potter, has come out as a very vocal transphobe. And then when people push back, she's like, I'm being bullied. And a new Harry Potter game just came out in this, our year of our Lord, 2023. And so people were talking about her again. She won't leave the public eye. Mm-mm. She won't shut the fuck up. Mm-mm. Anyway, so that's what's going on. I've also heard that this game is anti-Semitic. Oh, great. In addition to being <laughs> transphobic, there is actually supposed to be a trans female, like a trans woman character from what I've heard. Oh yeah, but what's her name? Her name is something and like Man McGillicuddy. I can't remember what her name it's is. It's bad. It's like, it's, she's, I mean, listen, JK Rowling calls herself a transphobe. She's proud. She goes after trans people on social media. She's, there's problematic and then there's JK Rowling. Like there's something else going on here. And also for the record, I haven't heard these questions in advance. So you're just getting my hot take. This is straight hot off takes, the presses. Hot takes. Yeah. Uh, oh, her name is Sir Ona Ryan. That's a problem. 
Sirona Ryan, but having the name Sir in her name, I think is yeah. a problem. Of, of course, from a, from somebody who's like, I'm transphobic. Uh, yes, I would say yes. Um, I think personally, if you don't talk to your friend, you're not going to really be friends anymore. You have to talk to your friends. If the friendship can't hold that kind of conversation, then that's a problem on its own. But I I do feel that there is a difference between separating the art from the artist when someone's dead, right? But JK Rowling is very much alive and very much a prolific person who with a lot of money and a lot of social power who is actively campaigning against this incredibly vulnerable and marginalized community of trans folks or non-binary folks, like people outside of cis, you know, non-cis people, I guess. Um, and supporting her and continuing to live in her world either means you don't know, you don't really care, or you've decided it doesn't matter because it doesn't affect you directly. Right. And, and it sounds like with this friend, she's decided it doesn't matter because it hasn't affected her directly. And, you know, that's a problem. And I think it's a very fair problem to have a conversation about. I will also just add like, you know, right on the heels of us talking about masks, I had a very uncomfortable conversation with one of my dearest friends about masking because it came up when we were hanging out and they weren't masking. And um, it was a really uncomfortable conversation and really hard. And you know what? As a result of their converse, our conversation, they started masking more when I wasn't around as well as around me because they're a good friend and a good person and they hadn't been thinking about it the way I was thinking about it. And people can change. And if our friends don't help us to change for the better, then what are friends for? That's my hot take. How about That's a you? hot take. Um, I mean, I guess in the conversation, because the, I mean, because I the conversation can go like, that hurts me as a trans person that you did that kind of hurts my feelings, makes me feel like you weren't thinking about the greater implications of people like me. Um, but I also wonder, I don't know how to phrase this question to your friend, but I wonder what your friend does think trans allyship looks like. If yeah. your friend is, you know, I, I was just reading something where someone's like, yeah, some of the most harmful things I've heard are from people that are supposedly allies. And that can be true because people are like, well, I have a trans friend. What else do you want? <laughs> but I guess saying like, well, I just like, just, I don't know how to, how to phrase this for your friend, but like, what does trans allyship look like to you? And to me, I think perhaps your friend could donate the same amount of money to a trans affirming cause to mm. some cause that actually defends trans women or trans kids or whatever. Cause I just wonder like if your friends spent, I don't know how much a game costs, $80. How much wow. could this banana be? $10. I don't know how much it costs. Nobody has. If, <laughs> if your friend just gave $80 to the enemy of trans women in public, perhaps your friend could give that much or more, or you could in her name to a cause that supports, supports trans people. Yeah. That's a thought. I think it's a good thought. It's a like really is, good thought. Is her trans allyship just like tagging you in something or saying, or being your, your pal? I don't know. Again, we're back to individual compromise for collective care. You know, like 
she might be a, a great trans ally to her pals because it's immediately in front of her and good for her, as opposed to like, I want something for me, you know, making that kind of compromise. I think it's worth talking about. Yeah. And she may not, at the end of it, she may just be like, I just want to play the video game, please. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, it's nice to just have the conversation about what it means to actively, it's like that Ursula Le Guin quote about love. I can't remember, but it's like, love doesn't just sit there like a stone. It's constantly be, being made like bread. Like mm-hmm. you're constantly tending to it. And I think that your friend's allyship is kind of like her love for you and other people like you just needs a little more tending. Love that. I'm butchering the quote. Kind I of. feel like you did a good job and I want it on a t-shirt, but it's kind of long. It could fit on a t-shirt. It could fit on a t-shirt for you. If you were, um, if I was ambitious. Hi, my advice question is about building queer community when you come out as an older person. Um, my wife and I have been together for 11 years, um, and she is a trans woman, but has only been out publicly for about a year. And um, we're both in our late 30s, and we're not really sure where to start. Um, we're both punks, so we have punk queer adjacent politics. Um, but curious how you, um, tips on building community when you haven't really been a part of the community actively, um, in your early part of life. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Do you have thoughts straight out the gate? I mean, my thoughts, I'm going to tell you, my thoughts are always the same thoughts, which is if you want to get into a community, start volunteering because Mm -hmm. that's where you're going to meet people that are kind of making and doing and have a like a web, a large web. To me, it's easy to find queer people when I volunteer at the girls rock camp. Um, it's easy for me to find people, all sorts of, uh, people who want to mentor girls and gender expansive youth. And those exist all over the world. And Mm -hmm. they're like the coolest, sweetest people you could ever meet. Yeah, that's, that's great. And I would just add to that there's going to be like queer nights or queer events or whatever. And going to those, if you're like an extroverted enough person, if that's how you like to hang out, I think works, but there's also like spiritual and religious places that queers are often leading or a part of. And it's, I think it's important to be making queer connections to embrace your queerness and your queer life. And also to remember it's the same as making friends with any other group of people. And that means that just because someone's queer doesn't mean they're not an asshole. Um, and so, you know, be patient because you might meet a bunch of queers and be like, no, and that doesn't have to be life ruining. Although I think when you first come out, it feels a little life ruining when you're like, what? I thought I was going to like them. Um, so it's also, if you're punk, there's gotta be some sort of queer punk, something I would imagine in Calgary uh, and finding that could be through volunteer, but it could also be through music or whatever else. And it's just like meeting any other group of people. It may suck and it may be wonderful. And you just want to be patient and open. And when you walk into a queer night, not everybody knows you're the new kid at school, but being the new kid at school might be exciting for people to see you and meet you and be like, Ooh, there's new kids here. Yeah. And it's true. Just to build off what you were saying about meeting some and having them be assholes, not, not, we're not all like that, but it is kind of like when you move to a new town, maybe the first person you meet isn't going to be your best friend forever, but they'll help you meet another person and another person and another person. Yeah, that's right. That's right. 
Capricorn matters. Tell them the matters. truth. I feel like we solved it. Yeah, we did. We solved it. <laughs> world really, hunger is done. We yes. solved the, we solved the world. Okay. Yes. This one, by the way, a lot of these are in line with the things we were talking about. Really? Yes. Hello, this is for Jessica. So I've got major internalized ableism and capitalist rhetoric, which makes me constantly hound myself for not working harder, even though I'm disabled in a pandemic. Uh, I have Capricorn with a five-planet Capricorn stellium, so I constantly feel like, shouldn't I be working harder? So I was asking if you have any advice for a disabled Capricorn. All right, thanks. Bye. Again, it shouldn't be on the shoulders of a disabled person to navigate this first and foremost. And also it is inevitably on one's own shoulders to navigate your own wellness, right? So first of all, I'm going to assume that this person was born in around 91 because that's when a bunch of the outer planets were in Capricorn, which is where we often see these like big Capricorn stelliums. A stellium is like a concentration of planets, three or more planets in a sign or house. And um, the thing that a lot of people don't talk about with the zodiac sign of Capricorn is that it, one of its characteristics can be, I want to fit in. I want to get along. Keeping up with the Joneses, a Capricorn invented that. Um, it's a sign that is really associated with like getting approval from others. And so much of what this question is about is doing something that other people are not going to approve of, that make you stand out, that can make you seem high maintenance. Um, and I think, you know, as somebody with a lot of Capricorn in your chart, that might be something that you find really difficult or challenging. And that's a place to like do your own internal investigation. I would just start, I would start with that because like the question, what is like the question mark part of this? It's like, how do I take better care of myself? Is that really what the question is? Well, they really want to, they want to try and work against their uh, capitalist workaholism Capricorn leanings. Oh, I see the workaholism. Did they use that word? I didn't click on. That's what they're basically implying by saying Capricorn. This is they constantly hound themselves for not working harder. I thought it was working harder against ableism, but what they mean is working harder in a capitalistic way. Yes. Uh, I mean, I don't, I know that currently a lot of discourse online is working is bad. Like working hard all the time is bad. And I think that there's a way in which that's absolutely true. And I think it's so important. And also certain people really like working. Like I love working. I, my work is my love. Um, now, if you're working on something you don't care about, and that is at the expense of your wellness, that's a different thing. But this person isn't actually saying that, or are they? Let me read it again. Yeah. I've you read gotten- it again. I've got major internalized ableism and capitalist rhetoric, which makes me constantly hound myself for not working harder, even though I'm disabled in a pandemic. So, okay. So what this person is saying is that they are motivated by money and like capitalistic, like pats on the back. And so they're working at the expense of their own wellness. I think it's basically like they're working against the idea that like you just should be working a lot more than you are mm. and then they can as a disabled person, mm. but, but they're Capricorn. So they're on board with that. 
I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and is there a second half of the question or is that pretty much the question? Capricorn with five planet Capricorn stellium. So I constantly feel like, shouldn't I be working harder? Mm. I'm asking you have any advice for a disabled Capricorn? I mean, can you be the best at resting? Can you be the best at napping? Can you be the best at meditation? Mm. I know great questions. That's my, that's my question for you. If you have to be the best at something and throw Mm. yourself into it, is there a different thing you can focus that kind of dogged Capricorn energy on? See, when I think of Capricorn, I think, uh, I don't think capitalism at all. Mm. I think that's a mismanagement of Capricorn energies. And that's, you know, a really common like keyword making money is really important. I am Capricorn is a conservationist sign. The only other really famous triple Capricorn I'm aware of, um, not, I'm not calling myself really famous. I'm saying the only other, the only other triple Capricorn I'm aware of that is a famous person is Greta Thunberg, Thunberg, Thunberg. And she's she's a triple Capricorn. Yes. And she's a conservationist. And so it, and she's not just a conservationist. She is a dogged, like she's constantly working. Does, does she actually use she pronouns or they pronouns? I don't know either. Um, uh, but she, they are constantly working towards conservationist ends. And I think working hard on its own is not a problem. It's if you want to use your Capricorn energies, you think about how am I conserving my energies? Because if you want to be doing something for the next 10 years, then how do you have to pace yourself so you can sustain it? And that is the right way of thinking, I think, uh, about this sort of thing, because, you know, as an anti-capitalist triple Capricorn myself, I'm not interested in being the best at anything ever. Um, not never, but like being the best is a comparison. It's that keeping up with the Joneses. I think that the best version of Capricorn energies are about how can I sustain my efforts so I can stick it for the long haul? How can I meet my long-term goals with short-term choices? You know, that's kind of how I relate to my Capricorn energies anyways. And I find that people who have success in the world that are Capricorns, that I respect their successes, you know, they are often people who they've done exactly that. They have paced themselves through their efforts over time and it shows. So I think that's also a way of thinking about it. It's like, if your body has whatever needs or your psyche has whatever needs, working within those confines will empower you to succeed over time. Whereas if you try to like be a Sagittarius and do it all now when you're a Capricorn and you got to do it step by step, then you're kind of, you know, you're kind of like inhibiting yourself from being able to be what you can be. So I don't know if that made sense. Did that make sense? That makes perfect sense. Okay, good. Then I stand by it. I want to say friend Capricorn friend of the show, Beth Pickens always tells people that are stressing about their work jobs. What if you just get a B? Like, especially if you're a Capricorn and your instinct is to try to get an A plus everywhere. What if you just get an, a B, a B plus or a B minus? Yeah. What if you just show up and do your job for the job thing, whatever you have to do to make enough money to live in the way you want to live. And then, yeah, if you have that drive for conservation or for something else, if you put your energy into that, 
that long-term energy. It's about something that's not already expected of you. Anything you do is going to be a gift. Yeah. That's really nice. I, I, I'm a fan of the participation badge. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like showing up and trying should be the point. And so much of like, okay, this is my, again, anti-capitalist take, but so much of the desire to get an A or a B or whatever is comparison because those things all happen on a fucking curve where you're comparing yourself to others. And I think that that for somebody who's disabled, for somebody who's really ambitious, this can happen on a million levels, but is it's something to really try to deconstruct. And the process of deconstructing is struggling. It's crisis. It's like, and so, you know, don't resist the struggle feelings and the crisis thoughts, because those are the, that's the work. That's the thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're right. This is very on topic for our intro convo. I know. And Basically, it's not, it, yeah, it just happened yeah. that way. Yeah. We're just magic. We're just magic. Yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by Kale McHurst, Zella Minor House, Steph Choi, and Joey Soloway. If you would like to support Sagittarian Matters, in particular producer Chris Sutton, please send $5 or $5 million via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com or the amount of your choosing. It's none of my business. Or this just in, you can send it to him on Venmo, Hell Books. That's H-E, double hockey sticks, books. Thank you for your support, and we look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Producer Ponyo looks forward to it too. Don't be scared. That's just Ponyo's very normal speaking voice. Okay. You're going to have to explain to me what this means. I will. I promise. Hi, Capricorn Matters. I'm calling for Jessica. And my advice question is, what, what are just, what's Jessica's top three advice for someone who has Aquarius on the sixth house? Thank you from Aquarian and Albuquerque. Okay. I feel like you're making this up, but I like it. Um, <laughs> uh, it's very good. It's very good. There's no way they're all Okay. Okay. Um, we have a very diverse, uh, landscape of where these calls come from. I'm really into it. Okay. So that's really, so what they're asking is they're, they're basically giving no information whatsoever <laughs> and saying, tell me what it means to have the Zodiac sign of Aquarius on the cusp of the sixth house, which doesn't even tell me, are they asking for like a general lesson about astrology, like what the sixth house is or Aquarius is, are they asking about their health? Are they asking about their work life? There's no planetary context. There's no context to this question. Now there is a very broad and general answer that I could give, but it's like very broad in general. Do you know what I mean? Do yeah. you want that? Do you want I don't to know. Do I mean, I don't, some of the, some of the astrology questions that come in for you are so deep baseball that when yeah. people ask them, I'm like, yeah, who knows? We don't <laughs> even have to answer it. No, it's, it, it's, I, this is the thing. And I actually think this is worth keeping into in the podcast. So let me just say this people want answers. And in the quest for answers from astrology, we'll often settle for terrible, terrible, stereotypical, general, broad answers. And I'm not mad at that. If I wasn't an astrologer, I would be into that too. I'm sure of it because who doesn't want to be like flipping to a book and being like, that's me. Um, but 
as a person who's dedicated my whole life to astrology, I don't want to be a part of that because I don't have to be a part of that. I'm not writing for a big publication. I'm not, I can give you real astrology, substantive answers. And so this is why I don't like answering questions like this, because it's not going to be substantive and it may like, you know, be like, oh yeah, that's me. Or it may not, but it's not, I'm not teaching anything and I'm not counseling. So what am I doing? I'm just adding to the astrology noise that's out there. You know what I mean? That's, you don't have to keep that in the podcast, but that is why I don't like answering questions like this. I think that's a good answer. I think it's a good answer too. Um, Let me know. What do you think of this question then? Okay. Dear Capricorn matters. What's the astrological basis for the Christ year? From boop, 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 boop. 33 in, I don't know what's a place with Thousand it. Oaks, California. 33 in Thousand Oaks, California. <laughs> we could have done so much better, but I'm not good at this game. I wasn't prepared to play. Okay. Uh, okay. So the astrological basis, I mean, just the basis is do you know what the criteria is? Have you heard of this? This is when you're 33 something happened. Everyone, you're 33. People start yelling at you that it's your Christ year. And then you're like, am I going to get crucified? Am I going to kill myself? What's like, that's the gay. That's the gay answer is that people start yelling at you that it's your Christ year. That's like the very gay answer. Yeah. (laughs) Well done. Um, okay. So this is what it is. Okay. Here's the thing. And I want to blow any minds, but there's this guy named Jesus Christ. Have you heard of him? Jesus H. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've heard of him. Okay. He's, uh, he's got some followers in some mm-hmm. regions anyways, leading up to his birth, there was these guys that some people call wise and they foretold of his birth. Now, unlike the childlike pictures drawn into the book that is really obsessed with him, they were not looking at the stars, they were astrologers. They foretold a birth. Okay. So let's just start with this. Astrology has been very big since before Christ and certainly since Christ, but it is important for me to contact uh, contextualize what I'm going to say with that little fun fact. I don't know if it's a fact, whatever. I don't know that anything about Jesus is a fact, but whatever. No disrespect to anyone who believes in this stuff. Like I respect belief. Okay. That said, the whole Christ story is his Saturn return. It starts when the Saturn return begins to be felt. um, And it spans through the whole cycle of the Saturn return. And at 33, that double Trinity is when he was nailed to the cross for you and me, apparently, or so the fable goes. Okay. So that's the general quickie story. I hope this doesn't sound sacrilegious to anyone. And then um, I will answer the actual question, which is what the fuck is Christ year? Basically, this, right? This That's is the, the gist. Was. This is the cliff notes. This is the cliff notes. And these are good cliff notes, right? Yeah. So basically around 27, 28, it uh, depends on what, how old you are. Most people have their Saturn return at 29. Some people have at 28. So two years before your Saturn return, you start to feel it. You feel like you're running out of time. You look around at your community and you're like, are these my friends? Are these my people? Do I even care? Like, what am I doing with my life? What is this? Things start to really change. And then the Saturn return hits. Could be two weeks long, could be a year long, depends. 
And in that time, there's generally some sort of crisis and it's a crisis of consciousness, a, 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 a crisis of self-awareness. And it's when we become, it's the closure of our childhood and the opening of our adulthood. It's when we individuate on a whole new level based on wisdom of experience, right? Saturn returns. So again, we're on this very Capricorn theme, right? Because Saturn is the ruling planet to Capricorn. And then it's over or so it seems. And I know. Uh, so what happens is, you know, 30, you know, the rest of your 29th year, maybe 30, 31, 32, seems like it's done. Like you seem like it's done. I mean, you're back, you now you're an adult and you tell everyone you're in your thirties and you feel old. Okay. And then the Christ year hits 33. And this is the integration point. It is the year of consequences for how you did or did not participate in and manage your Saturn return. And this is why a lot of times people are all of a sudden like at 33, like, I thought I was over X and I'm not, or I thought that I had made a decision about this, but now I'm really questioning that choice. It's a time where we often are dealing with crises associated, like kind of like that guy Christ did, um, based on the choices we've made. And this can be a year of great success where things come together. And this can be a year where things really fall apart and you feel bad in a way that isn't like connected to that Saturn return transit. So you, my friend are old enough to remember your, do you remember your 33rd year, your 29th year? I do. It was a really big, I mean, my 29th year, I felt like what crisis, give me a break. But I was, but I was working on calling Dr. Laura, which was a giant pivot in my That's relationship with my family yeah, and telling the truth. And then when I was 33, the book came out and I separated from my longtime partner and my dogs died and I moved. And then I thought I wanted a baby and decided that, that I'd probably be okay with that one. Bada bing, bada boom. This is, I'm so <laughs> glad we're having this conversation because this is exactly it. Some people say to me like, oh, my sad return seemed like nothing. And it's not that it seemed like nothing. It's that it wasn't bad crisis. It was crisis of like, I, of, you were driven by purpose. You were working really hard. You were in a relationship. You had these, these beings that you loved. And then the Christ year comes and there's this whole level of consequence that we don't necessarily plan for. And sometimes that's good. And sometimes that's not, you know, it's a really important year is what is important to keep in mind. And, you know, I don't, most of what I know about Christ, I have learned from Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical, Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, I'm really a fan of that movie, the, the 1970s movie. Have you seen it? Uh, I haven't seen it in full, but Kaya sings it all the time. Okay, first of all, I like Kaya. Second of all, you should watch it. It is like a 1970s cinematic dream. It is so interesting and beautiful and weird. But um, that said, so I'm not an expert, obviously, but for the Christ story, him being nailed to the cross was both a very bad thing and a very good thing for him from his experience, because he was doing something he believed in. He was going back to his daddy, which he loved. Um, and also people turned against him because their loyalty was not whatever the story says, blah, blah, blah. Again, I saw the musical, but the thing that I think is important is that at the 33rd year, things really become revealed about ourselves, about the world we're in, the relationships we have, the projects we're engaged in for better or for worse, you know? And um, so that's the Christ, that's the answer to the Christ question on Capricorn matters. You're welcome. That was 
That I never knew that. I never really? thought about that. I was just like, why do you, what do you guys want me to do? I just felt like somebody wanted me to do something incredible when I turned 33 and I was yeah. like, cartoonist, just toeing the line. Yeah. Well, slash also your book came out, you dealt with major personal crises. Yeah. So not really, you know, I, yeah. this is the thing people, people have this weird thing about Saturn return and the Christ year, but all you need to do is keep on showing up for your life the best way you know how, I mean, that's really the answer. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So we only have one more question. Okay. And here it is. Okay. Dear Capricorn matters. How do you trust your judgment making big life decisions during Neptune transits? <laughs> Neptune Sorry. square Neptune oh. from trusting in Tucson. And you have to explain to me what tra- Neptune transits mean. Okay. So could. first of all, you're a terrible liar and they're not called trusting in Tucson. And <laughs> I love it. How dare you? I just dare because I care. Um, so Neptune transits. Okay. Wait, can I take a, do, 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 do. Can I take a break? Yeah. What year were you born? Me? Nicole. 1980. You're born in 80. Oh, you're not even a seventies baby. And what, what month and day? December 10th. Okay. Okay. Hold on. So hold my on. book had actually already. My book came out when I was 32, but then when I was 33, you know, things were still the personal. Oh yeah. It was like coming out. Okay. So you said December, what again? doesn't matter. December 10th, 1980. Okay. So you're also going through your Neptune square. That's why I checked right now. Your Neptune square, December 10th, 1980 is actually going to just finished last week. You were in it for the last two years. (laughs) So this is perfect timing. It's a great question for you. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Instagram cosmos. Yes, exactly. So the Neptune square to Neptune is one of the three transits associated with the midlife crisis. First is the Pluto square to Pluto. Then there's the Uranus opposition, and then there's the Neptune square. So this is the last, right? Um, you are in mid age and I mean, technically aren't you in mid age in your thirties, whatever it depends. It depends on how old you're going to live. Right. Yeah. I don't know, maybe, maybe eighties, 90. Anyway, I'm, I'm hoping for eighties or nineties. You're hoping for eighties or nineties. I'm hoping for seventies or eighties. I want to die young, but not real young. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I want them to be like, Oh, she could have had so much more in her, but I'm already old. Beloved with so much potential, so much potential. Yeah. I'd love to live while I die while I still have potential personally. I don't know if you spend a lot of time with people in their nineties. You have, right? Yeah rough, rough stuff is all I'm saying. Rough stuff. Aging is not for wimps. It's not. And I'm a fucking wimp. Even if you're a wimp, it's going to happen to you anyway. So you got, unless I die when I have lots of potential, don't screw this up for me. All right. All right. All right. Okay. The Neptune square to Neptune is different than other Neptune transits. So I'm not going to answer this for general Neptune transits. I'll answer it for the Neptune square to Neptune, because if you live to mid age, you will go through this transit. Whereas other Neptune transits that is not the case because of the speed at which Neptune moves. The Neptune squared to Neptune is a really confusing time when if your life doesn't have meaning, you start to question everything. The things that you thought gave you meaning, the things that you thought were really important to you, all of a sudden they feel different. You question them because Neptune is associated with our ideals and a sense of meaning and purpose that is deeply spiritual. And so, so much of one's adult life leading up to the Neptune square to Neptune, you're trying things on, you're going and you're doing, and you're reflecting and all these things. And then 
the Pluto square to Pluto happens can happen in your mid to late thirties. And you're confronted by shit that you thought you already dealt with from your childhood. And you're like, ouch, ouch, it's terrible. And if you have addictions, they all start to rear their head and you know, your compulsive behaviors get activated and then, you know, time passes. And then the Uranus opposition happens and that blows your shit up. You want to, you know, so when people get married, they get divorced, they like make massive spontaneous seeming life changes because you start to realize your age you're like running out of time. And unlike with Saturn, which makes you want to get more conservative, Uranus makes you get wild. And so this is when people often feel like I need to make changes in my life now while I can, I need to pivot. And if you don't, people often have major like psychological issues around this, but their nervous system gets really fucking engaged. And then again, time passes. And then finally we have our Neptune squared to Neptune where if you haven't centered meaning and a sense of purpose and comfort on some level, life becomes very difficult. And even if you have, we question those things. We often find at this time that our psyche, like our psych- our psychology, our spirituality, and often our bodies can't keep up with what we were doing before. And this can pass after the transit's over or cannot, depending on your health, you know, mental health, emotional health, physical health, what have you. And so it's a really challenging transit and one that's kind of hard to put your finger on because that's how it feels. Like it's hard to put your finger on it. So a lot of times, um, cause you're like, it literally ended for you, Nicole on February 13th, like a couple of days ago. Yeah. So the last two years up until a couple of days ago, um, this has been, what's been going on for you. And so a lot of times the choices people make in this period center, cultivating more comfort and spiritual and emotional wellness, um, prioritizing a sense of purpose and meaning, right? And then when the transit ends, you have a little more energy. You have a little more like, hmm, what comes next? And for a lot of people, they will choose to barrel through and ignore the centering of purpose and, and connection that comes up during the Neptune square. And for other people, we will integrate it. And this is a big part of why people in their forties and fifties act real different than people in their thirties and forties, right? Depending on where we are in the forties, because the need for meaning in life is truly a different thing after the Neptune square to Neptune, like through that transit and, and, and ever more after. So the best way of engaging with it is being curious and allowing more spaciousness for your mental, spiritual, and emotional health. And if necessary, of course, your physical health. Um, so that's my like quick, quickie hot take on that. Does that make sense for the last couple of years for you? It totally makes sense for me. Mm-hmm. I wonder, can you trust to circle to this question? How do you trust your judgment with big life decisions during that time? Well, you can't, that's the <laughs> thing about Neptune, Neptune, makes us question everything. It weakens our boundaries. It um, points us towards the impractical. So you can't completely trust it. And that's a problem if you're not centering purpose and meaning and connection and wellness. But if you are centering those things, then the risks you take, um, the problems that come from it, you'll just, you'll just deal with it. Right. You, mm-hmm. The thing with Neptune transits in general is you can't completely trust the choices you make. 
that Neptune itself creates circumstances where we just don't feel like we can trust it. We're like, I feel like this is the right thing, but is it the right thing? I don't know. So like, you know, you're a perfect case study. Yeah. It's like over the last two years, you've made big decisions and you know, you've done them as though you really believe in them. And you may have the whole time been like, is this right? Is this not right? Is this right? Is this not right? And in the last couple of months, as this transit has been ending for you, Mm-hmm. You've probably been questioning the things you've done in the last two years in a different way with different energy because Neptune hasn't been up your ass anymore. Mm. And so again, you know, when I'm just, okay, Neptune governs ideals, Venus upon my sweater governs values. And when I'm describing the difference between values and ideals, it's the difference between stars and lampposts. They both light up the night sky, but values, AKA lampposts, you know, get a tall enough ladder. You can change the light bulb, right? It's attainable is what I'm saying. It's attainable. It's a pain in the ass to achieve your values, but it's attainable. Ideals are not actually meant to be reached. You know, you're not supposed to get in a spaceship and go to a star. That's not a thing that people do. we are meant to point ourselves in the direction of our North star, not to reach the North star. That's your values. And so what Neptune brings about is not our values. It's our ideals. Where do you want to point yourself for the rest of your life? What is important to you? You know, and I made major changes in my life during the Neptune square to Neptune in ways that I didn't during the Uranus opposition, whereas a lot of people are the reverse, you know, it depends on your nature and all that kind of stuff. For me, my Neptune square to Neptune coincided with the need to change how I worked. And my whole life was organized around counseling people, um, and consulting with people. And it was really hard for me to, to like acknowledge that that had changed in effectiveness for me, me as a person, I was doing just as good work, but how was it, how was it an example of me taking care of myself? Mm. You know, I had to start really questioning it and it took me years until I made a choice to make a change around it. Um, but it was in that period that I realized that it wasn't working the way it once had. And some of that is, you know, about a lot of things, but some of that is about also just acknowledgement of age. You're not supposed to function like a 25 year old when you're not 25. And our culture will tell you that that's a bad thing, but astrology tells you that's a gift. That's, that's just the journey, you know, that's just the next thing. Yeah. It's just the next thing. And that doesn't mean not functioning optimally. It just means that the way we define optimal at different stages of life are meant to be different. Yeah. This is great. I mean, you're getting a reading out of the situation. Who planned on that? Jessica, thank you for answering all these questions for everybody. Oh my God. What a pleasure. Um, I really enjoy being on Capricorn Matters at any time. Um, Thank you for having me. We love having you here. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next time.